welcome to another episode of the DTF podcast of Just a Tad. This is a smaller one for you guys in the middle of the week. I hope you're doing all right. Uh, it is rainy here. It is still not winter. Uh, I don't know where you are. If you're in Dubai, it's probably 175 degrees. Uh, and I feel fucking bad for you. Uh, but we feel great. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, my name is Sam Norton. You guys know me. I know you. I have a special guest today. We are here with the one and only Kelly Howard. Kelly, say hi. Hi. Uh, we are going to be talking about something very personal with Kelly. We are going to do a bunch of other shit. Uh, you guys will see the upcoming uh, clips that I'll have and uh, new episodes. But today, uh, Kelly and I were going to get together and hang out. And I was like, hey, come over and podcast. And she said, okay. And then I asked her what comedy things she wanted to talk about, and we started talking about her Mount Rushmore of comedy, and that's what we're going to dive into. So we're going to get to know Kelly and get to know some good comedy. Uh, Kelly, do you want to tell them anything about yourself? Uh, I'm so cool, guys. It's very true. <laughs> she, she changes her hair and her act uh, about the same. Any not t- anymore. Uh, not no. anymore. I've had locks for since April. Oh, yeah. That's, say, in... Uh, in my realm, in white guy realm, that's uh, that's all the time. <laughs> I haven't changed my hairstyle since I was twelve. <laughs> yeah, I have had a lot of hairstyles, a lot of different colors, uh, lengths, textures. It's been crazy. <laughs> textures. I was. I was trying to find myself through my head. Hey. And I think you did. Kelly <laughs> Kelly's a fantastic uh, comedian here out of Chicago. Uh, one of the one of the few people that I think has uh, has the ability to uh, actually go somewhere in comedy. Um, thank you. That's true. That's, uh, I, I only, I, I found that I only surround myself with successful people. And so if you're not successful, you're going to really break up our friendship. (laughs) Damn it. I got to get on it. (laughs) But it's like a personality thing where you gotta, I think you have to surround yourself with people that have the same personality type as you, right? Not not necessarily yeah, exactly the same, that, but, but like drive, yeah, same, because yeah. it's hard to it's hard to hang out with people who don't get it. You know, does that make sense at all? It does. I have a lot of people, or I did rather. I had people in my life that would call me with questions and stuff, and then I would try to give them solutions, but they wouldn't want to hear the solution. It's like yeah. we're very negative and very closed minded. It's like I can't help you open up if that's not the way you think. Yeah. It's, so yeah, it, I get it's it. one thing to like I complain all the time, but it's one thing to complain and not do something about it or complain and do something about it. Yep. I am the latter person where I'll bitch and moan all the time while I'm fixing it. Right. Uh, Very so yeah. Important. Progression. So let's, uh, let's give your top answers. So your Mount Rushmore of comedy, we already talked about this, but here's the twist to put you on the spot. Uh, your Mount Rushmore, you have to do, you have to put somebody in the way of George Washington, someone of Abe Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson and Teddy Roosevelt. So it's almost number one would be George Washington, number two would be Abe Lincoln, number three would be Jefferson, and number four would be uh, Teddy Roosevelt. That's the way I look at Mount Rushmore's most important to least important. If I were to put anybody in my number one just because I met him before, it would be Bernie Mac. Okay, so Bernie Mac is your George Washington. Yeah, for sure. Uh, My number two would have to be... Richard Pryor, just because I think I can, I see him. I see his, like his whole life. His perspective type thing? Just where he came from and just his, his struggle with with a healthy mental state. Okay. Like I saw that his whole life and by reading his career, I mean by reading his book and just understanding his background, his like upbringing, 
it made his life just so much more relatable. Okay, so that's me. your Abe Lincoln. Who's yeah. number three? Who's your Thomas Jefferson? Uh, that would have to be Lucille. I don't know if I want to say Lucille Ball or George Carlin right there. They're kind of like both. Can it be half and half? Since I have five anyway. You can do that. You can okay. split them in half. All right. Okay, so so who's got Carlin. the head and who's got the torso then? Who's the more important out of those? Out of your split How number dare three? You? Uh, I, no, I okay. gotta do this. Um, I would say the head. Just because, goddamn it, I'm a boss. The head is gonna be Lucille. Okay. All right. Yeah. And, and the then, ass can be George Carlin. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then uh, your uh, your Teddy Roosevelt, the guy that just simply made it onto here, is. That would be Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah. All right, we're going to play a montage real quick so you can figure out who the fuck she's talking about if you don't know. If you don't know, also stop listening to this podcast because you should know <laughs> all of those names. But yeah, we'll give pretty you pretty well-known yeah, yeah. people. <laughs> if you don't know, you're a fucking asshole, and please listen harder to uh, this podcast. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to go so, so you guys can hear some clips and enjoy some of their comedy as a little montage, then we'll come back and dive into what makes uh, each of these people great to Kelly and probably myself. I... I can easily say I like all of these comics. I'd like I I would have liked their one like one comics where I could be like, Well, you fucking like that, but Kelly's got uh unfortunately she's got good taste in comics. <laughs> so uh we'll uh we'll be back after this. Love you guys, bye. It's too goddamn late for some damn cookies and milk, man. Take your punk ass upstairs. And get some rest. That's how I talk to him. Fuck that timeout shit. I ain't got time to play with these badass kids. These kids will kill you. They gonna kill me. I'm gonna kill them. I can see y'all reading Jed and Ebony right now. I can hear you talking. It's a shame how Bernie fucked up those damn kids. I can't get no rest. They walk around the house 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Got their finger under my nose, seeing if I'm breathing, all that kind of shit. Badass some of my bitches. Rocking all the goddamn time. I ain't no psychologist. Then the son of man gonna sit up there, she gonna go upstairs, the two-year-old, or her the two-year-old say, where the cookies and shit? <laughs> he gonna tell her, him downstairs. <laughs> Who the fuck is him? Like I ain't got no name or something. Him downstairs. The two-year-old say, well, I go get this shit myself. She gonna walk her little bowling leg down there. I'm standing in the corner. I watch her get a little step ladder. She gonna go on over the refrigerator. I said, what the fuck you doing? She looked at me, I'm gonna get some milk and cook. I said, didn't I tell your punk ass boy he couldn't handle no goddamn cook? Are you listening when I tell the faggot he couldn't handle it? Now I'm telling your short ass he can't handle no goddamn milk cookies. Get your punk ass upstairs before you get fucked up around here. Oh, she gonna look at me like I'm short, you know. know what that look mean. That look mean you want to do something to me. So I backed up. And I told her, bust a move. Bust a motherfucking move. One thing I got out of it was magic I'd like to share with you, you know, it's like, 
I was leaving and I was sitting in the hotel and a voice said to me, he said, look around, what do you see? And I said, I see all colors of people doing everything, you know? And the voice said, do you see any niggas? And I said, no. And I said, you know why? Because there aren't any. And it hit me like a shot, man. I started crying and shit. I was sitting there, I said, yeah, I've been here three weeks. I haven't even said it. I haven't even thought it. And it made me say, oh my God, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. I got to regroup my shit. I mean, I said, I ain't gonna never call another black man a nigga. <laughs> you know, cause we never was no niggas. That's a word that's used to describe our own wretchedness. And we perpetuate it now cause it's dead. That word's dead. We men and women, we come from, we come from the first people on the earth. <laughs> you know, the first people on the earth were black people. Cause anthropologists, white anthropologists. So the white people go, that could be true, you know. Yeah, Dr. Leakey and them found people remains five million years ago in Africa. You know them motherfuckers didn't speak French. So black people, we the first people had thought, right? We was the first one to say, where the fuck am I? <laughs> and how do you get to Detroit? <laughs> so you can take it for what it's worth. I know like, I ain't trying to preach nothing to nobody. I'm just talking about my feelings about it. And I don't want them hip white people coming to me, calling me no nigga or telling me nigga jokes. I don't like it. I'm just telling you, it's uncomfortable to me. I don't like it when black people say it to me. I really don't no more. It's nothing. It don't mean nothing. So I love y'all, and you take that with you. I guess y'all say it. <laughs> All right. your Vitamita Benjamin girl. Are you tired, run down, listless? Do you poop out at parties? <laughs> Are you unpopular? The answer to all your problems is in this little bottle. Now you pick up the bottle. Oh. A little higher. That's right. The answer to all your problems is in this little bottle. Vitamita Benjamin. Vitamita Benjamin contains vitamins, meat, vegetables, and minerals. Yes, with Vitamita Benjamin, you can spoon your way to health. All you do is take a tablespoonful after every meal. Now you take some. Oh. It's so tasty, too. Look, you're supposed to like the stuff. You've got to smile, be happy. Yes. Now try it again. Yes. <laughs> it's so tasty, too. <laughs> Just like candy. 
more. It's so tasty, too. It's just like candy. That's going to be fine. You, you just go ahead. Okay. So why don't you join the thousands of happy peppy people and get a great big bottle of Vitamita Benjamin tomorrow? That's Vitamita Benjamin. Yeah. Now time for me to get a little drink of water. Figure this stuff is safe to drink? Huh? Actually, I don't care if it's safe or not. I drink it anyway. You know why? Because I'm an American, and I expect a little cancer in my food and water. That's right. I'm a loyal American, and I'm not happy unless I've let government and industry poison me a little bit every day. Let me have a few hundred thousand carcinogens here. Ah, little cancer never hurt anybody. Everybody needs a little cancer, I think. It's good for you. Keeps you on your toes. Besides, I ain't afraid of cancer. I had broccoli for lunch. <laughs> broccoli kills cancer. A lot of people don't know that. It's not out yet. It's true. You find out you got some cancer, get yourself a fucking bowl of broccoli. That'll wipe it right out in a day or two. Cauliflower, too. Cauliflower kills the really big cancers. The ones you can see through clothing from across the street. Broccoli kills the little ones. The ones that are slowly eating you away from inside. While your goddamn goofy half-educated doctor keeps telling you, You're doing fine, Jim. In fact, bring your doctor a bowl of broccoli. He's probably got cancer, too. Probably picked it up from you. They don't know what they're doing. It's all guesswork in a white coat. Here, let me have a few more sips of industrial waste. Ah, maybe, maybe I can turn them cancers against one another. That's what you got to hope for, you know, that you get more than one cancer, so they eat each other up instead of you. In fact, the way I look at it, the more cancer you got, the healthier you are. I thought about the fact that my kids are eventually going to have a stepdad. That was kind of scary to me. I'm going to tell you why. I started thinking to myself, like, what if I can't physically beat the stepdad? Like, because I know I'm not going to like the guy. Small problems are going to become big problems. So in my mind, shit would happen. Like, one day I call a house. In the background, I hear... I said, put the dishes in the sink. But in my mind, what I heard was, you and your dad can suck my dick in the sink. <laughs> I gotta fight. I gotta fucking fight now. Now, because I've thought about it, I wanna be prepared for this day if it ever happens. So right now, I'm currently taking self-defense class. Like, there's no bullshit, it's not a joke. It's the wrong time to mess with me. I know a lot of shit. My teacher just taught me how to take a gun out of somebody's hand. Like, if somebody points a gun at me like this, I'm trained to grab your wrist, bend it, take the gun, point it right back at you. No bullshit. I do it all the time in class. I'm the best. Um, it's, it's at a point where I had a conversation with my friends. I said, look, dude, if we out and somebody pulls a gun out, let me handle it, okay? I'm the only one here that's trained for this type of combat. He was like, you sure? I said, trust me, I'm sure. Here's how funny life is. We walking out the club, right? 
I'm a little tipsy. I get to the car. This guy comes from behind the car. He ducked down. He had a gun. He was like, everybody get naked. Run that shit, bitch. Get naked. Run it. All my friends got scared. They start getting naked. I was calm. I'm standing there. I'm looking at him. I'm even laughing a little bit because in my mind, I'm like, you don't even know what I'm trained to do. Like, that's, that's what I'm thinking, right? So he got mad. He said, you think it's a game, little nigga? Run that shit, bitch. Get naked. Run it. And, and it scared me because my teacher, my teacher only taught me to take guns from people holding it like this. He, he had it like this. I've never, I've never seen that. We never worked on that in class. So I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I got naked. I did exactly what he said. I got naked. My friend's like, do something. I was like, I can't. He's a killer. He's the real deal. This guy's the real deal. I got security after that. Actually, that's a lie. That's a lie. I didn't get security after that. I tried to hire my friend Wayne as my security guard. Um, reason why is because Wayne was big as shit. So I was like, why would I, why would I fucking pay somebody else when I give you that extra money? You don't got to fight nobody. Just look like you would if something were to happen. He's like, all right, I'll do it. I said, done. You're hired. You're my security guard. Um, here's, here's why Wayne got fired. L let me tell you why. We, we were at a club, right? This guy pulls out a gun, shoots it in the air. Bop! Fuck all these bitches. I got scared. Wayne, what should we do? With a straight face, Wayne said, play dead. I said, what? What you say? He wouldn't answer me back because he was in character. He said, Wayne. 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 He, he gonna go, you better shut up before you get shot. What the fuck? Welcome back. That was Lucille Ball, Kevin Hart, Bernie Mac, George Carlin, and Richard Pryor. Uh, and this is Kelly Howard, and I am Sam Norton. So let's uh, let's dive into this. Why? Let's start with uh, let's start at the low end of the totem pole because he's short. Uh, <laughs> why? Uh, why Kevin Hart? What is what does he do for you that uh, that maybe no other comic does? Why does he deserve to be etched in stone in your mind? Kevin Hart has such a positive outlook on life. And that to me is Oh, very, so you like him as a person? Very, like very a personality? Important. I like him because he takes that into his comedy. He doesn't... You see that in his comedy. You see, uh, that's true. You see the joy... When he talks the, about his dad yeah. and stuff, it's never it's super... Never like, fuck that guy. Exactly. It's never like he was a fucking crackhead and this is what he did. Like, it was never like that. It's always like, I'm accepting of this. He's fun and just... I like that creative, fun, positive energy, like... Because we're comedians, and even though some of the shit we say is funny, but some of the shit we be saying could be super bogus and super demeaning to people. And I've never seen him be that comic, ever. I like how right out the box, you just gave me an answer that I've never thought about before with somebody. Like, I, I've never thought about Kevin Hart as, like, a positive comic or how much that kind of differentiates someone from the rest of comedy. But, yeah, that is very true. Comedy's He's... very angry. A lot of people are very angry on stage. Well, tell me more about that. <laughs> Sit and complain all the time. It's like, what the fuck? He, he goes up there and he complains, but he complains about shit that he can fix, and he tells you how he fixed it. And he smiles all the time. And he time. smiles. Yeah, yeah. 
That's that's amazing. Now, do you think uh, this His energy is infectious? I I've been a fan of Kevin Hart since he was called uh, Lil Kev. So I'm a way huge, back when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Colin Quinn and uh, Tough Crowd. Do you ever watch that show at all? I don't. Okay, well, it was a show on Comedy Central. Like when I think we were probably in middle school or something. But I got hooked on that. Oh, I definitely didn't. Then we didn't yeah. have cable. Oh well, <laughs> we stole it. Channel two five seven and nine. You could have totally, you could have totally just uh, if you would have had the internet, you can take the thing out of the internet jack and then put it into the TV, and you could have cable as internet. well. Internet. Yeah. You didn't have cable internet whenever you were in middle, middle school? school? Yeah. Well, then you weren't fancy. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> we had we had a cable internet thing, and then we, we stole cable because we found out that if you unplug it from the modem, you could plug it into the TV. So anytime we wanted to watch TV, we'd plug it into the TV, and then we'd have cable. And then whenever you yeah, wanted so to have internet, you'd plug it into the internet. So we just paid for one thing. That's pretty dope, actually. Yeah. I wonder, does it still work? I don't know. Maybe? Because we don't have cable. I don't on. think so. Because We I, just have internet and then Netflix and all the different subscriptions. I don't know. Take it out of your cable modem box and stick it into your TV and see, see if it does that. Used to do it. We had we had that for like four or five years, something like that. That would be a great idea. And that would then, be crazy. And then I don't remember if they changed anything. I don't know. I stopped paying attention. Anyways, so uh, Kevin Hart used to be on that show all the time, but he wasn't what he is now. He yeah. was just some um, little dude trying to hold his own. But yeah, he was always, because uh, he, he was amongst like people I really like, like Patrice and Neil, uh, Colin Quinn and them, and he was holding his own, and it was just one of those things, like, even as an unknown, he had a bigger personality, or a bigger uh, presence than someone that uh, my height should have. So, I do like that, too. He's always, he's always been bigger than what he is. Even when he went through his divorce, you he didn't got hear divorced? him... Yeah, well, not from his new wife. Oh, okay. But his original, his baby mother or whatever. Gotcha. When he went through that, you didn't hear him say nothing negative about her. Like, yeah. nothing. She was out here going ham. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it was crazy the stuff that you would hear that she said. But him, all the interviews he did, everything he posted online, even like for Mother's Day, he was like, you know, I will always love the mother of my children and posted a picture of her. Like, he's always been so supportive. Now, I don't know what the hell he do behind closed doors. He could be a woman beater for all I know. But yeah, publicly... Well. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> and I've met him before, and he was nice when I met him. So he took a picture, but he wasn't the Kev he is now. He was, like, fresh off Soul Plane. Oh, so, yeah. So yeah. he was in the depths of his career. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He was, he was like, happy anybody wanted to take a picture it, it, with him. He was like, I'm going down after Soul Plane. <laughs> this down. Like, the plane has crashed. Yeah, you yeah. got to have a lot of hard work and, uh, like, a hard work ethic and amazing talent to bounce back from Soul Plane. You do. You really do. Because his career should have been over. Yeah. <laughs> That 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 was the comedy version of 9/11. That's oh, how shit. bad that movie was. Yeah, it's oh my god, it was it was kind of funny though. It was kind of it had its get moments. the fuck out of here. It All right, now moments. we found where I hate you. Now. It had its moments, Ugh. like oh girl, like I'm sorry, the the girl that was like trying to fuck the black dude, the the teenager. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought that was just hilarious as hell to me, her whole character. But yeah, you're right. Hey, listen, you can have your opinion. I'll roll my movie. eyes because right. that's the type it was of. It's a terrible movie. I should, Let's move on. I you're should right. be more. No, I should be more positive. <laughs> I should be like Kevin Hart. I should say, hey, there was some good parts, just like everything else. No, Sam, I accept you for the asshole you are. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> <You're> everybody? <cool. laughs> I, I think everybody has to. All right, so let's move to George Carlin, the uh, torso, of, yeah. yeah, of your third of your third pick. Uh, I just like that he's unapologetically honest. He don't give a shit. 
So what separates him and uh, Richard Pryor? I don't want to skip to Richard Pryor yet, but what skips or what what's the difference between him and Richard Pryor in that aspect? I still feel like Richard for a long time was still trying to somewhat justify his behavior and his actions in other ways. Like he was trying to say, oh, well, this is the reason why. Oh, and I'm George Carlin. This. George Carlin was like, I'm saying this and I don't give a fuck if you agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like a matter of fact. Versus with Richard, I felt like it was always still that question in the back of his head if he really believed what he was saying or if he really felt the way he felt. Because it's hard to to be concrete on your ideas like that unless you just really don't give a fuck. So you think that George Carlin or Richard Pryor didn't lack conviction of what he was doing, but maybe lack conviction of if he was right or not. Like when he when he would talk about uh, anything uh, about his life, he would go like, oh shit, I think I did something wrong here. Yeah. Whereas when George Carlin talked about it, he was very like, no, this is fucking wrong. We should stop. Uh, I don't know. But when when he would talk about pot, he would say it's dumb that pot's illegal. Then when he would talk about, I mean, the seven dirt or seven dirty words, is that what? Yeah. The famous thing about the seven dirty words on the radio, he was like, it's fucking stupid that we can't say these words. Yeah. So you're saying like he was very he concrete was just, on like... This is what this I feel. Is, yeah. But I felt like with Richard, as much as I love Rich Pryor, yeah. he was caught up in... He was caught up being a black man in Hollywood, which means you always have to... Second guess yourself. Second guess yourself and readjust and change things to try to fit what they want. Even if you're not doing it directly, he was doing it very subtly. But he still fit into where they wanted him to be. He never was able to just be completely himself. Yeah. I don't feel. Carlin was just like, fuck you. Well, on a previous... And all your thoughts. <laughs> that's, I think that's actually a good point. Because on a previous episode that I did uh, was about Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you know that he helped write the script of Blazing Saddles? I did not know that. A lot of people didn't. And I had a few people go like, oh, that's cool. I'm glad that you told us that. And uh, part of the reason uh, he was helping write it is because Mel Brooks wanted him to play the main uh, character, the black cowboy. Mm. That was supposed to be Richard Pryor. But he couldn't do it because Hollywood thought that Richard Pryor would be too, um, I don't know, divisive if they had him in that movie. So he wasn't able to do it. And then you see, like, he did a movie called The Toy. Like, he kind of lightened up, so maybe... Yeah, yeah, it's like they were very restrictive. He wasn't able to just be who he wanted to be and do what he wanted to do without somebody telling him, like, well, here's why you shouldn't. Yeah. And then him having that why you shouldn't in the back of his head, even if he was able to do it, he still had that doubt. And I felt like, as an artist, looking at another artist, I can see that doubt in some of his stuff. Whereas Carlin, he, I mean, he even went on to SNL and opened up a few, uh, I think he opened up a few of those with, like, some of his uh, seven dirty words and shit like that, where it's like, yeah, he just went and he did never cared. It, yeah. He never cared, and I appreciate that because as artists, we always care. We always care what other people think. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, if you can get to that point in life where it's like, I'm doing this for me and for what I have to say that I feel can help other people in the world. If they thought like this, that's the only reason why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it to make you guys like me, which is a huge difference. When we do stuff to make people like us, we change how we do it because we th- we're thinking what they like. Yeah. <laughs> so, and not, I want to get the people who like me on board instead of getting 
exactly. whoever. Yeah. I want everybody to yeah, like yeah. me versus saying I'm like this and my crowd will follow me. It's real hard to get to that place. It though. is very hard to get there. I think what you have to do is bomb a lot. That's my experience. Really? Yeah. I, I, I went through so many phases until up to now to where I... I don't want to, I don't like George Carlin don't give a shit, but I do not give a shit. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's because I've done so poorly in so many different, uh, I mean, from the most rednecky South roadhouse room to the most ghetto black room to the most rich, shitty white people room. Like I bombed in every single aspect that I'm like, okay, I, I'm not going to be able to please anybody. Unless I do me. (laughs) So I finally was like, all right, this is my shit. And it's been working out way better just to go like, fucking here, this is me. I'm angry. I'm yelling. And then I'll talk about love and then get off the fucking stage. And it's working out way better than me trying to fucking soft shoe everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've found it to be my personal life experiences is what gave me that hardened attitude of not caring what people say. You know, when I first, I first felt it for the first time when I was on stage and my daughter was at Riley's Children's Hospital in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. Here I am in Chicago performing and I have a sick child that is literally dying a hundred something miles away. That gave me a completely different aspect of the crowd. When I was on stage and I did my thing, it was like, I'm doing this shit and then I'm gonna get the hell up out of here and drive two and a half hours back to my sick child. So I really don't give a shit if you laugh or not. Were you kind of resentful towards the audience of like, I got more important shit to do. So I wasn't me... resentful because it, was uh, okay. it was a therapeutic release to be able to do that, to be able to leave the hospital and being at the Ronald McDonald house every fucking day, nonstop uh, eating the same like, food, right, let me listening get this to out. these doctors, the beeps, like it was a lot. So to be able to go and get on stage was very therapeutic. But when I was there, it was like, you no longer control me. Because they did control me at one point. At one point, I wanted them to like me. Then I was like, no, I am important. I'm yeah. important in this little girl's life that I'm saving every day. That The doctors try to do something or change something, and I'm her advocate, and I say no. Yeah. Or I say, well, how about this? I'm a part of her treatment plan. That just gave me a bigger purpose. And I think that's why it changed how I look at things on stage. Because I was like, this is a great purpose, but this purpose over here has somebody's life attached to it. So being on stage used to mean everything until life kind of kicked kicked in then you were like oh it's just a thing it's not it's just a yeah, thing. yeah it was like i wanted people to accept me like me approve of me be my friend it was like i was searching for love or acceptance from them yeah yeah you cannot do that as a comedian looking from that from your audience you can't you can you'll just be bad you can but that'll, <laughs> that can fuck you up mentally oh right if you don't get it then now you're and i realized that that wasn't it so by understanding that earlier, when after after everything happened with her, understanding that helped me get a really clear path to like, oh no, I'm gonna talk about the stuff I wanna talk about, whether it makes them uncomfortable or not, because this is what I wanna share. And I will have people that's gonna step on board with that and, and agree and, and, and appreciate it. Cause I have domestic violence jokes. I had one lady stand up in the middle of my show in Indianapolis that was like, it's not funny and stormed out. And I was like, everybody, Give it up for her. She's got her ass kicked on the way here, apparently. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was fucked up. That's pretty funny, though. It was fucked up, but it's like other people out here that have been through a real domestic violence issue and they're trying to heal and they're trying to grow from it, this may actually be something that they can appreciate because I can get on stage and talk about domestic violence in a humorous way versus the commercials of, have you seen someone? And you don't have to be that, you know? So by taking it to a different... Well, there's also that thing, too, of like... You should, like in my head, I feel like comedy shows in general should have 
a rating system like how movies do to where it's like PG, PG-13, R, or yes. fucking triple X. I don't know who's triple X, but I'm saying like you should have at least some research before you go out and watch comedy. And if if they don't watch any clips of you or me or whoever whenever they go to the show and they just go like, oh, I'm going to watch fucking Jeff Foxworthy. It's like, well, then you can't get mad at me when I do a domestic exactly. abuse joke. Yeah. Had you watched my clip, you would have saw that I do this type of material anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And that I... I think George Carlin uh, definitely said... Because did you... Have you ever seen his real early stuff? Yeah. Like in the 50s, he was doing that hippy-dippy weatherman thing? Yeah, I saw him on the shows uh, and said he was very... It was weird. It was very bad. But I think he was trying to find himself. I think he was trying to be like an old 50s Catskill comedian. Yeah. And then he saw Lenny Bruce and was like... Oh, no, I'm going to say fuck on stage now. Same thing with fucking Richard Pryor. He was trying to be Bill Cosby for yeah. a long time. And Bill Cosby was trying to be fucking Richard Pryor for yeah. a long time. And they switched. And then he realized, like, this ain't me. This ain't where I come from. I come from the fucking hoods of Peoria. I yeah, sucked yeah. the motherfucking dick when I was seven. You know what I'm saying? Like, he sucked the dick when he was seven? Yes, he was four. He was getting raped by this man that was making him suck his dick. Oh, okay. The way you said it, you made it seem it wasn't like purposeful. he was getting... Oh, okay, okay. He was being told by this man to suck his dick. And he did it several times, and then somebody, I guess a friend of his father's, or somebody that knew him from the neighborhood, caught it. Yeah. And, like, I don't know if they beat up old dude or if they checked old dude, but they was like, if I ever see you doing this again, I'll kill you. Like, they said something to this guy that was forcing it. Yeah, I'd go straight to killing him. And that, that's where, where, where it stopped at. But could you fucking imagine a seven, eight-year-old going through that? No. Having to fucking suck a grown man's dick and you a man? Like, that's... That just made me appreciate him so much more as an artist. Like, because he, he, he really was that stereotypical comedian of running from pain, trying to... Oh, for sure. He was definitely that, which was pretty admirable. So we'll go back to Lucille, but uh, is, that, is that what you dig about Richard Pryor, is just seeing so much pain manifest into art? Yep, because I came, I came from a lot of pain, and I'm not going to say a lot. I didn't have a Richard Pryor upbringing. <laughs> I don't think many people did. But I had You'd have my, to live in, like, the middle of the Congo with Yeah, exactly, fucking, with fucking yeah. prostitutes and shit. Yeah, it's crazy. But I did have... My mother was an, a drug addict, okay. you know, until I was... What was her drug of choice? Well, I thought she was a crackhead, but when I asked her, could I talk about that situation on stage. I was like, can I talk about you being a crackhead on stage? She was like, first of all, I free-based. Oh. So apparently... <laughs> She's very bougie. That's upcut. Yeah, so she free-based. Uh, she's been clean for like, shit, 24 years? Way to go, mom. Yeah, she's been clean for a long time. Probably longer than that, I don't know. But yeah, so up, up until I was like 10, you know, I didn't have a mother that was like consistent in yeah. my life. And, uh, and I lived with my grandmother and then my grandma di- died and my dad was like, I can't take care of you. You're going to start your period soon. Like, that was his reason. Wait, who's who's your grandma that I met? That's my mother's mother. Oh, I lived okay. with my father's mother. Okay, okay. Until she died. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And then he, he I guess he sort of, sort of kind of lived there too, but he had a girlfriend down the street, like two miles, with a daughter named Kelly too, that he spent most of his time with. I was like, maybe he forgot which Kelly he's supposed to be taken care of, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> so That's very funny. Yeah, so he's with her. Have you said that on stage? I have. Okay, okay, okay. But I haven't been able to find a way to introduce that whole situation. I'm just making sure yeah, to make that that's been stick, on stage. But it has been on stage. Funny. It was in my one-woman show. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, more of a... Uh, Kelly's One Woman Show. You guys can check it out whenever you do it next. I don't yeah, even know yeah, if you're going to bring it back. Uh, right. I will eventually, I'm pretty sure, because I like to write like that. Anyway, so... Continue. I want to hear. Yeah. About so this. just having that, having been through like those experiences of um, non-committal parents and stuff, and like 
basically growing up trying to figure life out on your own, feeling like you're you're floating. You're, you don't have any support system. My brother didn't like me because I grew up with my paternal grandmother, mm-hmm. and he had to grow up with my mother who was on drugs. So we had different fathers, and every time I came over, I got uh, tortured. Uh, so he's your half brother. Yeah, well, he's my mom's son. I never considered him a half-brother, but I think that is called that. Yeah, where you guys got one parent. One parent, yeah, 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 so, yeah. And, and he just, I mean, I was like, he used to call me. I remember this one joke. I can't get it out of my head. So I was so black, I could put a fingerprint on charcoal. <laughs> and Jesus. I remember. The only one I've heard that's worse slash funnier than that is uh, so black that if I pour water on your head, coffee will come out of your mouth. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he said that to me, and I was so excited about my rebuttal. I was like, you so light-skinned, you could put a fingerprint on the sun. And like, <laughs> the whole family started laughing, and I was like, hell yeah, I got his ass, finally. Like, cause how, he, much, how much older is he than you? He was born in 79, and I was 81. My, he's passed away now. He died when he was 25. But yeah. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. Yeah, but so... But so, what, three three years old? Yeah, about okay. two or three years older than me. But yeah, two years, because I'm 81. I'm September 81. He's he June was, of 79. I so don't do math. Two and a half years. Makes you think any part of my life means that I can do math. <laughs> I can't even read. These are all just hieroglyphics over here. I believe in you. Uh, That's that Kevin Hart aspect right there. Yeah, that positive. We're like, you can do it. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, so it was just a lot. It was just a lot, and then... So do you remember watching... When... Uh, one, when did you, uh, you said you met Richard Pryor? No. Bernie oh, you Mac, met, met Bernie. Bernie Mac. All right. But when did you, when did you watch Richard Pryor and, uh, kind of absorb that aspect of like, oh this, shit, this dude's just a uh, fucking raw nerve. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like when into com, I'm assuming into comedy, did yeah. you go like, that's a raw nerve, right? And kind of get inspired by that. Do you remember how many years you were into it? Was this before your one woman show? Probably between all of it. Like, I've always just kind of went back and watched some of the older comics mm-hmm. um, and paid attention a lot to their work. I don't, like, I know a lot of people are, like, so into, like, all the new comics and everything that's going on, and I, like, have no idea who the fuck is out there other than, like... Me too. Yeah, I'm very old comic-ish. So I would go back and watch clips and stuff, and I would just listen to how, like, he even when he... Bought like that character on stage, uh, Mudbone. Mudbone, yeah, Mudbone. Like, like what, even, was it Mudbone? I think it was Mudbone. Okay, but even that transition, right? Even that in itself was interesting to me. It was yeah. an interesting way to address comedy. So, I would say probably like year six, maybe, because I'm ten years in. Yeah. So probably like year six or seven is when I started to to realize that talent is not gonna take me there. You got, there's got to be some artistic growth. and uh, There has to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I just recently said that to somebody else. I said, the worst thing you could tell a kid is that they're talented and that what God got for you is for you. You just basically created a failure. Yeah. Because they're not going to go and do anything now. They think that I'm talented and I got it, and if I'm supposed to have it, God will give it to me. And that's fucking dumb. Because you have to work for every goddamn thing. I, I don't want to say this because this sounds terrible, but I think the best thing that you can do for a kid or anybody who's wanting to start off is tell them that they're not good enough to do it. Which sounds terrible, but it gets you through the at least the first hurdle that you kind of aren't that good. Like, unless you're a fucking prodigy, which uh, most people are not, mm-hmm. it's going to take being able to work hard and get past feeling like a piece of shit that you're not living up to what you want to do. So exactly. that first test... Now, maybe if you're a parent, you don't do that, but... If you're, like, a mentor to somebody, like, yeah, I don't know if you've got it in you. Or as a parent, you just have to find a way 
to make sure they understand like, yeah, you're good, but not good to a point where you can make a life out of this. You're good, but you have to work and get better. Like it's hard for a parent to tell a child, oh, you fucking terrible. Like, that's <laughs> difficult. We even lie to kids that are terrible, right? Yeah, Shitty yeah. ass paintings. We're like, oh, this is so beautiful. No, this looks like shit. Um, I, d- I have a clip on my Instagram actually where I talk about like when kids make you something and they come in there like, mom, look, I bought you this. And what parents say versus what they want to say. They're like, oh, thank you. I said, but other parents be like, get this bullshit out of my face. Like they throw it, you know, and it's like really ignorant because that's the truth. Most of the time we're not as good as we are and we feed kids this lie yeah. to make them feel better. But actually we're fucking, we're creating. It's a weird balance that you have to like build up their confidence enough to where they can feel like they can do anything, but you have to shoot down their confidence to go like, yeah, but you're going to have to work because you're kind of shit. My father's a perfect example of a narcissistic failure. Oh, thinking that he's like like the the God's gift to earth. But but you've done nothing. Like, where are you in life other than making me? Like, like, where, what have you, you know, I mean, I love my dad to death, but my dad has settled into complacency of where he is and where, he, but my, my father was so growing up, I saw him fix shit with his hands. I saw him do, like he was always working on cars. He always was a doer, mm-hmm. but he, somewhere in there, he got complacent with that and was like, oh, well, this is what it is. But he had so many dreams and aspirations that he never followed through with. And I think that's because he was a mama's boy. He had somebody telling him that he was good enough when he wasn't, when he needed to actually go out here and put in the fucking work to be better. And I didn't understand that shit probably till last six months when I started meditating heavily. Like I've been, today is a 102 days straight. Ooh. Straight, yeah. But I've been on and off, but today is the, like where I've been consistent for 102 days. And I've changed the way I look at a lot of shit, having just sat down and really looked at all the pieces at once versus trying to put the pieces together. It's like just sitting down and really paying attention to myself and my thoughts and my behavior and my experiences and what I add to my my, what, what is my comedic take and where does it come from and not falling into that complacency era as much as my family has saying that oh I'm talented and I'll get there based on this because I've done that for the last nine years and yeah I got opportunities I've been on TV I've been signed I've had all that but I was never really prepared well it's also the the part of this job that you can't really explain to anybody else unless they actually feel this way is that like when you can com- not, not complain, but kind of complain when you complain about like, shit, I'm, I'm ready for the next thing. That's the, that's the thing that drives almost every comedian that I know that is once or can be successful is that you don't look behind you and, and appreciate all the time. Like, Oh, I got this. That's what I was wanting the whole time. It's like, no, you just always are chasing the carrot. We, you and I could get to fucking Richard Pryor or Kevin Hart status and still be going like I got it. what's the next thing yeah we could have just done the biggest fucking movie of all time and then had a fucking 50 city tour that sold out and then still go like yeah but it wasn't international <laughs> you know what I mean like that's right everything I've ever done I'm like if I could just get this I'll be happy and then it I get like... it and I'm like fuck no I gotta get that that's yeah. the thing I need to get when I perform in Syria that's when I've made it yeah, like yeah. yeah but you know what I I think too it's not even, a, like you said, looking back, that's very important. Like, you look back to learn, but not to try to change. And I feel like we get stuck trying to change the past, trying to change what we didn't do and what we should have done and how we should have configured things. And that gets us stuck 
in my opinion. I just look back and go like, God, it took me that fucking long? Let's get our ass in gear. Like, that's... <laughs> but that's a different way. That's a more optimistic look yeah. like standpoint. A lot of the times, like I was such, I was stuck in such a negative cycle with my thought process that I wasn't able to do that. I would look back and be like, what the fuck? Like, I need, I, I've done this and I've done that, but I'm still not here and I don't understand. And I'm trying to do this, but I don't get it. I'm on stage and I'm not doing, yeah, but I'm on stage, but I'm not writing off stage. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not doing other things that I need to do in order to make sure that when I'm on stage next time, it's better than the last time I was on stage. Yep. I wasn't doing that. I was just saying like, oh, I got a good response on stage this time. And that was it. And then I would go back and go, oh, I got a good response on stage this time. But it was never a great response or a better response. It was always... Or a new response or from new something. Response. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm able, and because of how my material is kind of fluid, I'm able to move shit around and make it appear to be a new set with a couple other taglines in And it there. tricks your own brain, too. But it's, not, like, oh, it's not real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's go to Lucille Ball now. Uh, oh, my God. Her comedic energy is just amazing. She has so much physical comedy that I appreciate. That's probably where I get most of my movement on stage, where I'm all over the stage. That's why I'm so hyper. Did you used to watch I Love Lucy? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, all the time. So was she like your first comic, or what, I mean, whenever you were younger, yep. that you were like, ah. Yep, yep, because my mom used to watch it all the time. And then I just started to, like, that was that was time I could spend with my mom. Like, she worked nights, and I, we really didn't see her much. But if she was watching Lucy, I can come and sit on her floor yeah, yeah. and watch Lucy. And not be told, get the fuck out, or something like that. Like, this was okay. Yeah, yeah. And that, to me, was like, I don't know. Lucille Ball was just something different for me. She was a woman. I mean, she was a white woman, so I couldn't directly relate, but I could relate to the fact that she was a female. Yeah. And that you don't typically see females behaving like this on national TV. And so to see her be able to get completely out of the norm of what a female is supposed to be, that was very impressive to She me. was the first, because, uh, like... In my opinion, I think the best comedy is when you're the goose. Like, the the straight man is great. Like, that's the person who kind of sets up the jokes. So that's what, like, Ricky Ricardo, is that what yeah, his name Ricky was? Ricardo. Ricky Ricardo was the guy that kind of set up the joke. Lucy. And then Lucy yeah. was the one that always had the punchline. Executed it, yeah. Yeah, and in most sitcoms, it's reverse. It's the, what, like, King of Queens, you know... Uh, what His the, wife sets Kevin, it up, yeah, and then, and then Kevin, Kevin James yeah. is the big fucking goofball, and she was always the the dumb one doing dumb shit and always getting into mischief and stuff, yeah. being the goofball. Yeah, yeah. They did a lot of first things. They would, I think, they were the first couple on national TV to share a bed. I also think they were the first inter interracial couple yeah. on TV. I think they was the first one to to be pregnant. Oh, on I didn't TV. know she was pregnant on there. Yeah, oh, when okay. she had. Um, Ricky, Ricky no. Jr. or whatever. Oh, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't know she was pregnant, though. I didn't. But yeah, well, that's how babies that... are made. I know. But I'm saying <laughs> with TV back then, they could just go like, oh, and then the, baby. the baby. Yeah, Yeah. no, she actually had the baby. She oh, actually okay. had a baby. There was the, that was their baby on the show. Gotcha. It's crazy. Like, they broke barriers that was just so admirable from my standpoint because I feel like, and I hate to say this, but I feel like blacks... <laughs> We have so many hurdles to climb, even if the world think we doesn't or other people think we don't. Wait, black people struggle? 
I knew you were coming with some bullshit. I felt it in my really I felt it in my toes. Do you know that Trump got elected president? <laughs> like you guys are doing all right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I forgot all about Trump. You're right. Yeah. I forgot Barack all about Obama him. got rid of racism, right. and now we got and now we got Trump to re your savior. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Black yes. people. I don't know if you watch you Fox News, but black people voted for Trump. Let me take that back. Yeah. I'm not yet. Black people have no hurdles. We're just walking. Yeah. Well, you're just you're just complaining <laughs> all the time about all the time about your real easy peasy life. Oh my God. The the people who have it hardest. Are white men. Yeah, white men. I don't know. Absolutely. Has white anybody men. told you this yet? White men about 26-ish. Uh, I'm 29. And, oh, shit. Uh, it's Absolutely. It's getting hard. I'll tell you what. Oh, as so I sit sorry. here in my wife's condo. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. But yeah, I think, I don't know. She just really, she really, I think Lucille was the first person to make me think I can do other things than what I'm being told. Because here it is, a woman on TV and they're saying that women can't do this, and she's doing it. Oh, so it was one of those things of like, Lucia was the first one that you saw in the entertainment business that you could at least put yourself in her shoes and go like, oh shit, I can do this type of thing. I can, not necessarily that far. Like I didn't ever think I could do what she's doing, but I was like, oh shit, women can, can be funny. Gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. Women can say things and do things and behave in certain ways and not feel like, I'm not a woman because of it. Yeah. You can get a laugh without feeling less of a woman. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which is what we always get. It's like if we talk about certain stuff, now we're not a certain type of woman, right? Or we're not this type of wife. Or we're not this type of mother. And it's just so stupid that we compartmentalize pe things and people like that. Do you think, like, I don't want to go too far into it, but do you think that still happens as much nowadays? Um... Meaning, like, I know it still happens, but do you think that it still happens as much as in the 50s, but it's just shifted to a more, like, subversive thing to where people still put you in that, that whatever bubble or label, they just don't say it because they know how to dodge around either being racist or sexist? Because I feel that way. But I'm on an outside perspective, so I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. It's just what I see is everyday stuff, like... I'll meet, I was just talking to Tanya about this. Uh, I met, uh, like, as a white dude, mm -hmm. I get, like, this behind, almost like uh, Wizard of Oz behind the curtain thing towards racism to where someone will be, like, if it's three of us, it's, like, me, another white dude, and then you, and we're all talking, we'll have, like, a great conversation, then you'll walk away, and then within an hour, if that guy's racist, he'll slowly start to throw stuff in there just to see if I'm also racist. To pick it up. And yeah. If you, if you piggyback on it, then now you guys are having a nice little racist conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and there's been multiple times where I've hung out with, a guy, like, somebody, I, I'm remembering a place down in Tennessee, I was, like, talking to somebody about Game of Thrones, and we were, like, having a, the guy was a really cool guy. Until he started wanting to get racist with shit, and it was one of those things of like, oh great, because I look like this, now you just now assume, you think, yeah. it's like, I gotta stop you there, I'm in an interracial relationship, never dated a white girl, we're not gonna do this, <laughs> I can't do this right That's now. That's so funny, you never dated a white girl? No, not- I didn't know that. No, I've been, I've been with white girls, but I've never dated a white girl before. That's dope. Well, I mean, that's not, it's not my choice. No, it's just interesting. Being like, if though. I was gay, going like, that's dope. And like, well, I didn't choose. I just, I, I somehow no, like melanin, just, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, you, for you to even be able to articulate that is pretty dope because most people will be ashamed to say they've never been with a white woman, white woman, and they're a white male. To, like, to, they would be like, oh, I've never been, well, how do you know you don't like white women? 
you know, a racist will jump on that like a goddamn. Oh no, I've been in that situation. Yeah, but it's I I think it's because I grew maybe it's up some around... black that you had no reason to, you had no reason to yeah. throw to yourself just now. Yeah, it's like, yeah. But what about the listeners? <laughs> the listeners can fuck off. <laughs> so all right, so Lucy Ball, uh, she inspired you on that. Now let's yeah. get to uh, uh, Bernie Mac, your number one. So uh, I want to hear what inspired you. Oh, because but... I talked about Richard. We are out, out of turn, yeah. We are. It doesn't okay. matter. It doesn't matter. We're just talking. <laughs> yeah. But I, I want to hear about Bernie Mac before we go, because uh, tell me what inspired, what's inspiring about him. But then I also want to hear about the story of you meeting him, because we've never talked about this. I didn't even know this happened. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, was this down at Jokes and Notes? No, we met not even at a comedy place at all. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, he was getting his nails done. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, what inspires me about Bernie Mac is his endurance. He made it later in life. Oh, like okay. Yeah. I thought you meant like on stage. No, his endurance in, in in his career. Like I read his book. I did a report on him actually in yeah, college. Yeah, how old? He was like um, in his well, probably forties. Because I think he had a lot of the same path that um, oh, what the fuck? I don't get no respect. Rodney Dangerfield. Like they both kind of had that like they weren't comics until way later in life, and then they got fucking huge. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of what it was. Like he was a comic even when he was. In his like thirties and stuff, he wasn't. But not he didn't a comic. start in like his teens or twenties. No, no, no. no. He, he, didn't he start started as a teenager. Yeah. yeah. He already had like a fucking family and shit, right? He had a family. He had yeah. his wife, and then he only has one daughter. And I thought he had two kids. Mm-mm. Maybe well, it's just because I has. watched his. Oh no, those are his. his show. Those are his sister's kids. Remember, his sister yeah, yeah, was yeah. a drug addict, and yeah, he's yeah. taking care of her kids. Did that actually happen though? That is true. That his sister was a drug addict. Yeah, all that stuff in the book. I mean, the, the show, show is, the is very similar to his real life. Okay, okay. Yeah. So just seeing that he didn't stop, right? Even when he was dealing with, like, marital issues or having to provide for the family and not having enough money, he still was doing his nightly shit and hitting the rooms and not giving up. And that type of, you need that when you got a family and a wife and somebody that's dependent on you. You really got to have that belief in yourself and in your craft to keep going because it's so easy to say, you know what, I tried, but this is more important. My family, my, my kids, this is what needs me. It's so easy Dude, to, on top of to that, have that turn. I'm impressed by people who have kids. I know it's necessary in our business to, like we said, to have your own artistic thing, but I'm even more impressed uh, with people like yourself who have like a family that you have to fucking support and yet you take artistic risks because that's fucking with your money. Like, I I always think, like, if I had kids and shit, I'd, I'd be a fucking sellout, I'm sure. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't go up there and try to write new jokes. I would just be like, all right, here's what works. This is what I'm doing. Give me my fucking paycheck so I can pay for this fucking bottle. But watching people like Bernie Mac go up there when he had, you know, his fucking family to support, still going up there and saying very honest and new shit. Like, he wrote uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, See, that's, I think the difference between me and him is that I never used to write. So when I would go on stage, it would all be fresh anyway, because I wouldn't write it down. I wouldn't write. So I would just be well, going off of memory. Well, I mean, he did new jokes. I don't know if he wrote or not. Yeah, but I would be going off memory and I would yeah. bring in new elements of stuff all the time just because it was in my day to day. And that's how I did comedy. I just brought up my life. We talked about it on stage and then I got off and it was funny. Yeah. But I never really went any further because I was trying to figure out like, when you don't write, it's hard to articulate your point cleanly. 
Yeah, there's a lot of fat in there. It's a lot of shit that don't need to be in there. Yeah, yeah. And that was me for years. And so that's what made me convert to writing. But I was the same person where I would just get on stage and just do. And the, it wasn't really a comedic risk, I don't think, having a family. It was just, this is how I perform comedy. It was just the way I had learned to do comedy. Yeah, but doing, like, your one-woman show, that didn't feel like a risk at all? No, it was just the way. That was me. That, that was me getting rid of the funny. And being honest for once and saying, I don't want to laugh at this. But that's what I'm saying. Like, that's a risk of what's been making you bills. And then you go and do that to go like... I think we have a misunderstanding here. My husband pays all the bills. So I don't have any financial risk that I'm taking ever. Yeah, but don't, don't you, don't you add to the, the family pot? Especially if you're renting out a room oh, yeah, and shit. Oh, I have a medical marijuana card. Yeah, well, no, not, that's how I not that family pot, pot. You dummy. I don't know what you mean, though. I don't. I'm know saying like he he pay. I'm, he's he's the breadwinner. He's the breadwinner. But you add to the bankroll, don't you? And even if you don't add to the bankroll, when you do a one woman show, you have to rent out a room and shit. So you're taking money out. Didn't you have to make that money back? I was lucky. I was given the space for free. Oh, well then never mind. Bernie Mac's way better than you. I was, yeah, he's much better than okay. me. Okay. Yeah, he's Well then let's better. get back to Bernie Mac. I, I, contribute, I don't want to seem like a deadbeat wife though. I contribute to the household. Listen, I'm a deadbeat husband. my cleaning and my suckings of penis, okay? God damn it. I suck I my wife's I do my too. job. <laughs> we're, both, we're both nice housewives. <laughs> exactly. I fucking walk the dogs, I feed them, I do my job. <laughs> I, I feel so bad. So uh, I do the road and I come back and I, I've been getting some of the bigger paychecks I've ever had in my career. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy when I come home and then I put it into our bank account and I see our savings account and I'm like, I've added nothing. <laughs> I am doing nothing. Like, And when people make fun of me out in the scene, they're like, your wife pays all the bills. I'm like... I, but I can pay the bills. If we just, I wanted, if yeah. I wanted we to. We just choose to travel on my money. Yeah, well, <laughs> we we choose to go to the movies every week on my money. Oh, that's basically oh, yeah, that's a better, what I That's a better yeah. idea. Yeah, you know what? It is, it's like that, but I feel like when you understand balance in a household, it works. Yeah. So it works because I know what needs to be done to support him and make sure that his job is yeah. easily... You know, where like the mental health of the exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I make sure that this is balanced on this end. Stuff dealing with the girls, I do that. I don't take away from what he needs to do with his job, and he doesn't take away from what I need to do at night with comedy. It's like it's just a cool balance, and which is also what gave me the trigger right at like year ten, where I was like, I need to be serious. I'm either gonna do this, or I'm gonna go get a real fucking job or a real career because yeah. right now I'm living off of him, providing for me to have this artistic creativity. You know, the space. On my own. And so if I'm just sitting around the house fucking watching Netflix and I'm not really putting in that energy to make this what it could be, yep. then I'm just basically saying, fuck you, but not to his face. I get that every day when I'm like, oh, I'm just going to take a break. I'm like, no, she doesn't get to take a break right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we have to, they work hard to make sure that things are done. We should be putting that same amount of energy into our crafts to make sure that they're okay too. So what we're saying is every comic needs to get an Asian spouse. Yes. Okay. We do both have Asian spouse. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot. We have Asian sugar mama and daddy. <laughs> sugar mama and daddy, yeah. That is definitely what you need. All right, tell me the story about Bernie Mac. So Bernie, I met him at, uh, I was getting my nails done at Kim Nails, and he talks about her on his show. Here in, yeah. Kim. Here in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. So it's in Calumet City. It's not in Chicago. It's oh, okay. 147th Street. So I was getting my nails done, just like regular. Kim was doing my nails, and then he walked in. It was him. And his, I don't know if it was his security, but it was a man, okay. a very tall man, and then another man. 
and they walk. I'm pretty sure that was the security because who the fuck is coming to know shot with you? I'm assuming it'll be security and dudes that he just knew. Yeah. So he comes and he was he didn't live here. So it was like. Yeah, but he's from here. Yeah, he's from here. Yeah, he yeah. didn't live here. He was in he was in L.A. He, li- he never really lived in L.A. though. He had a house in Frankfurt. Yeah, yeah. And he traveled. You but know. he was in town for like a but show he was in town, or something. Exactly. Yeah. So he was. I was getting my nails done. I looked up and I was like, "Oh shit, Bernie Mac!" And I couldn't stop. I was like, "Bernie Mac!" Like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Like I was like. Oh shit! I wanted to cry and everything. Like, I couldn't believe I was sitting here. And you couldn't take your hands out I of the. I couldn't. I was like, just like ah, I want to hug you, but my yes. nails. And I had only been doing comedy for like a year, and so. Oh Jesus! I was one of those people though that when I when I first started because I was told I was talented. Yeah. When I first started doing comedy, I had fucking business cards calling myself a comedian, like DVDs, uh-huh. pins, like I had a whole fucking marketing package. Always in my back seat. Okay. Because I was talented. I was a shit. Yeah, yeah. Naturally, right? CD probably wasn't shit. I don't know. But it came in, and my daughter, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's like, that's Bernie Mac. Because she was like five or six, right? Yeah. And I'm looking at him, and I'm just like, what the? So then he sat down and was starting to get his hair done. I mean, his nails done. And I sat down right next to him. Okay. Like, I was like, Oh my God, Bernie Mac, I love you so much. I'm a comedian. I'm from, you know, I'm from Harvey, Illinois. And I just want to give you my, my, my DVD and my hair shot. Did you sound and this nervous that you sound right now? Yes. I was like, I just want to give you. And then he said, he's like, I don't take no. And I don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to probably fuck up his accent completely. But he's like, I, I don't take no damn DVDs from you goddamn comedians. <laughs> All y'all do is say something I want to steal jokes. Don't buy one of those damn jokes. Like, and he just like goes hard for like 20 minutes uh, on how new comedians ain't shit. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so I'm just taking this. I'm like, you're right. We ain't shit. You're right. And I'm just like, I'm just taking this shit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And um, after that, I sat down and he just started talking to me. And then I moved over to the, the drying station and he came over to the drying station too. And he sat there. When I tell you he sat there for about an hour, it don't take an hour to dry nails. Yeah, under the UV light? Oh, I know all about it. An hour. Wow. Talk to me about, and then it's crazy because people will come up and be like, oh my God, Bernie. He'd be like, not right now. And he would be talking, he was talking oh, shit. to me. Not anybody else in that That's like the place. president coming up and talking to you it and was like being so that engaged. It was so overwhelming to, to just listen to him and talk. And he was like, so what are you trying to do? And, like, and I would tell him and he would talk. He was like, and he said this to me. He said, you know what, girl? He said, you're going to make it. He's like, I see it in your eyes. He said, you got it. You got that. You got that. You got that drive. I see it in your eyes. He's like, you know what? Let me give you my phone. He gave me his fucking phone number. And was like, I'm moving. He's like, I'm coming back to Chicago. I'm finna start a lot of stuff, and I'm trying to do a production company here, and blah blah. blah. And he was just talking about all this shit, and he fucking died four months later. And I was crushed. I was wow. fucking crushed. I was like, crushed seriously because yeah. I couldn't believe that I was able to 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 be that close to him, to touch him. He hugged me like it was real. Holy shit! And he told me I was gonna make it. And every time I've doubted myself or thought like I wasn't gonna do it, that conversation comes back in my mind like no somebody that was already and Dave Chappelle told me that he was like he said you got it like fucking people like that telling me this I'm like why am I not putting in the work to really see this come into fruition seeing that other people see it yeah what am I not seeing you know and he's just a, such a powerful dude that when we came back I came back because I used to go to her for two weeks came back two weeks later to get my nails done he had left a signed autograph picture for my daughter with her name, Faith. He remembered my daughter's name and a fucking Bernie Mac clock. I can show you a picture of this shit from the Bernie Mac show. It's at my mom's house. He left it at the nail salon? He left it at the nail salon. Wow. So when I came back, she's like, oh, Kelly, Bernie, left for you. Fucking headshot of him signed with my daughter's name. He was like, uh, 
never stop dreaming or believe believe the impossible or something he wrote on there. And and then the clock from the Bernie Mac show. Wow. An alarm clock. I was so like that right there, G. His spirit and his energy was so positive and infectious, kind of very similar to, to Kevin. Uh-huh. But just on a daddy level, like on a more yeah. way older level. I really think that that in, in, in time over the last 10 years is what has inspired me so much to work on myself in terms of like mental health, meditation, making sure that I'm being that person to other people, other comics, giving back, doing for others, whether it's a ride or letting them bum off my weed or whatever the fuck it is. It's like knowing that none of this shit is, is permanent. So why hold on to it so tightly? Like giving it to somebody else is probably gonna change their life more than it'll ever change yours. And so seeing that, seeing that you change people's lives from that little small little tokens of kindness that you give, it really does make for a better life for you in the end. Like it, it, it builds up. I hope, I hope that's the case because uh, that's, uh, that's been my career the last six years is going like... very giving. Yeah. Well, okay. my thought is I don't know if I have what it takes to get to that elite level. So whatever I have now, I'm just gonna give it away, and then hopefully You're somebody else can writer, take the. You're a writer, though. So why do you feel like that? Well, that took a lot of work. That wasn't. Uh, that's not natural talent. That took. It looks natural. Well, thank you. <laughs> that's our job, right? That's the famous uh, Jerry Jerry Seinfeld thing. It's like, yeah, that's my job to look natural up there. But yeah, I'll, there, like uh, we were talking about uh, Rachel McCartney and uh, Emily Galati, two comics here. Well. Uh, Rachel's still here in Chicago and Emily's out in New York, but uh, those two I think are natural, right. like their brains think that way. Mm-hmm. I'm more in the area that you're at where we're naturally just able to be funny on stage and tell shit. So I had to back off from that and learn how to write a joke and that took uh, a very long time. And I think I'm maybe above average, but I, I don't know if I'm good or great. I just think I'm better than me yes most <laughs> i think i'm better sure. than most that are starting out but i'm also 10 years in so it's like yeah. you look at other people who are also 10 years in they're fucking way better writers than me so i, I think i just but it's applied effort and that's what i think yeah. the difference is is like they started out knowing that they needed to form a joke yeah i feel like the people that are really we're, you know really far off at 10 years in and, and they're just really good writers and really good stage performers They've harnessed that. Like, they've worked on that shit constantly. Yeah. Trying to write and rewrite and rewrite. I spent the first eight, nine years of my career just getting on stage being funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm about the same. I yeah, spent, I spent like, the first uh, four or five just going like, no, this is the job I want. And then I go in like, oh, you should probably, like, take uh, some time to craft it. And so now it's, now I'm trying to catch up to being where I should be at 10 years. And you and me both, is. so welcome. Do what? <laughs> I say you and me both, so welcome. Yeah, that's why That's why we ended up getting good spouses, so we could actually apply ourselves. Exactly. Instead of fucking around. That was the universe. It gave us something amazing so that we can focus. That, that's a fucking crazy story about Bernie, man. Real crazy. Like, I... I, I did I, you ever... I mean, I know he died now, four months later. Did you ever call him or text him? Just go like, hey... I called the, that time? I called the number just to see if it worked, and it did. Okay. okay. It's just like, I was like, oh, my all God. Right, all right. It was a good number. <laughs> but yeah. That but, that'd be hilarious if he would have given you, like, a sex hotline. That would have been so like, terrible. Oh, motherfucker. That would have been so terrible. <laughs> but um, I'm really good friends with his daughter now. 
Oh, that's Janice cool. McCullen, yeah. And we've been out to eat. We've like she's a really good person. She's really sweet. That's why I was so she, happy. She stayed here in Chicago. She lives in Chicago. Well, oh, she lives in like everywhere. a suburb suburb oh, okay, far okay. out, not really Chicago. But um what I love um about her is I can see that same genuine essence. Like she has that same genuosity, I think that's a word. Sure. I don't know. It'll be one today. I did, yeah, I didn't go to college. That yeah, sounds good to me. Me either. I went, but for 13 years, no degree. Don't worry about it. We're going to talk about it. Uh, so, anywho. <laughs> but yeah, she has that same like soft heart, that same genuine love for people, and just like she loves to talk and just explore ideas and stuff like that. So, I, I found her really cool to connect with, even after her father died, because I just was like, wow. You know, and then I did a couple benefits for them too, like the Bernie Mac Foundation mm-hmm. after that, and, um, and just this past. Monday, I don't know if you knew this, but they made, Rahm Emanuel made November 14th officially Bernie Mac Day in Chicago. This last Monday? This past November 14th. It was oh. just like, it was on, Steve Harvey had it on his show, they gave a award to his daughter and, his, and um, his wife. It was like a whole big thing. Well shit, that's awesome. Yeah, I was, I, I almost cried. I was like, out of town. Amazing. Yeah. Great. Amazing. That, that's a good day right before a terrible day that happened. <laughs> I know, right? Bernie Mac Day! Bye. Uh, now we got Trump. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, hey guys, we're gonna we're gonna end that here. Uh, thank you, Helen. This has yeah, been wonderful. This was great. Uh, I feel like we went a little past thirty. Who gives a shit? <laughs> this is what happens when it's your. I tell. I, I've had multiple episodes where I like start off on one thing and end up on another, and I just go, guys, this is my fucking podcast. So I know, right? You get to do whatever you want. That's the beauty about our jobs: is on stage and off stage, as long as you're self-employed. Well, give a fuck. I do whatever I want. So, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, Kelly, tell them. Do you, you want to promote anything that you got going? I don't know. This will um, probably go up uh, this week, but if it doesn't, I don't know. Yeah, I have a. I have my own podcast. Kelly Talks, etc. Okay. It's Kelly Talks. My name is spelled like Kel Yay, uh, K-E-L-L-Y-E, and then Talks, E-T-C. Um, and that, just heads up, is more real life. Did I do that? It doesn't matter. Oh. I don't know if I did or if I didn't. Uh, that's like more real life, just like talk about meditative and antidepressants, blacks and antidepressants and stuff like that. So it's still funny. To an extent, but it has a lot of real life in it. Hey, man, people, yeah. we're in the day and age that you're a personality. You're not just a comedian. Yeah, so just heads up, though, if you have, a, like, a huge comedy following. When they come over there, I don't want them to be like, what the fuck is this shit? Gotcha. I'm letting you know that it's, a, it's all about, like, life and living life to be your happiest. Go listen to it so you can balance out your life. Yeah, balance your life out with my podcast. And uh, I have my own website and kellyhoward.com. And, yeah, just like me or follow me on Twitter and Facebook. Cool, man. And uh, like always, follow me, uh, I Sam Comedy, at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, like I said, uh, December is going to be tough crowd week or tough crowd month. Uh, so if you wanted to uh, watch me live tweet something every day, an episode, uh, go to my Twitter and uh, also look forward to uh, uh, tough crowd being uh, in December for these episodes. So. Get ready for that, guys. All right. Uh, I love you very much. And remember that none of this matters because comedy is whatever you find funny. And uh, I don't know shit. So stop listening to what the fuck I think is funny and go out and find your own. I love you all very much. Bye.
The listeners can fuck off. <laughs>